Hey everyone, welcome to this mini podcast project series where we are going to go down the rabbit hole of ballet and the ballet wallets. For those who don't know, Ballet, which started in 2019, is a U.S. company behind the world's first multi-currency, non-electronic, physical crypto wallet. My name is Eric, and I am part of the marketing team here at Ballet, and I'll be chatting with Ballet's founder and CEO, Bobby Lee, and all things Ballet. From how it all started, to the inspiration behind it, from design to inception, what makes it secure and different from hardware wallets, and what the future looks like for Ballet and crypto wallets in general. We're excited to bring this story to you all, so sit back and enjoy the conversation we have with Bobby Lee. And on part four of the podcast series, The Story Behind Ballet, we have Bobby Lee once again joining us in this podcast discussion about the fundamentals and what makes ballet fundamentally different from other crypto wallets and its new approach to cold storage. On the last podcast, part three, if you haven't listened to it yet, <clears throat> Bobby went on to discuss his experiences using other crypto wallets during his time in 2018 and how that were planted the seeds in his idea and in his team's ideation of ballet and how they made it different from other wallets. So in this podcast, we'll be discussing how exactly is ballet different from other wallets. So welcome back to the podcast, Bobby. Yeah, great. This is this will be a fun topic. Great to be here. So as I alluded to just now, based on your experiences in 2018, playing around with different crypto wallets, what did you see lacking in the existing options of hardware wallets? Well, the, the biggest problem is about usability and easy to use, right? I think, uh, I think over the years, we've had really safe solutions. So remember, Bitcoin, the wallet terminology didn't even come up in the early days. Even when I joined Bitcoin in 2011, there was no wallet concept. It was just, you'd run the Bitcoin software and that's how you get your Bitcoins. That's how you receive and send your Bitcoins. So the concept of a wallet, the concept of an, another program, another software or hardware that can store your Bitcoins was, was, was new. But then over the subsequent three, four, five years, we've seen wallets come up, wallet makers and software, mobile phones, and also hardware wallet makers. Uh, and they range in convenience and security. And for the safest choices have always been the offline cold storage wallets uh, made by the hardware wallet makers, right? Trezor was, was the industry first. They announced a Trezor hardware wallet. It was very exciting in the Bitcoin community. Finally, you can have the concept of cold storage in an electronic device with a secure chip protecting the private keys. It was a revolutionary concept. It was really awesome. Now, however, uh, you know, through, through from 2016 through 18, uh, you know, when we were deep in the business, uh, what I realized is my friends, they, they had no choice, no, no viable choice to use a safe wallet because all of the hardware wallet choices out there were extremely difficult to use. And what I mean by difficult is not punching buttons, but the overall process in terms of setting it up, in terms of keying in the pin codes and passphrases, in terms of writing down the backup recovery, recovery seats, right? Those processes were just overwhelming for the average individual. Uh, uh, you can do it, but there is a risk of making a mistake. And any mistake you make in that process can be fatal from the sense of you losing the funds. You know, even the topic of, of maintaining backups, right? Uh, you know, people say, oh, it's simple. It's just 24 words or 12 words. You write it down, put it in a safe place. Yeah, but I've, I've heard horror stories of people, uh, you know, writing down the wrong words in the wrong order, 
um, sometimes missing words because some wallets get fancy, ask you to write down these four words here, or these eight words over there and mix them up in different sheets of paper. And, and you end up with an incomplete backup and that's just, that's just uh, mind boggling, right? So I've heard a lot of horror stories, people, um, the, the, the paper, you know, either losing it or it being flimsy, the ink runs, just, just a lot of horror stories with the backup process. A lot of horror stories with setting it up and some wallets have pin codes where you lock it up at front. You know, I, I think I shared the story myself. I, you know, even for me, quote unquote expert, there was a real instance where I typed in the wrong pin code on my hardware wallet. And uh, after three t tries, I thought I thought I knew it. It was so uh, such a good, you know, such a good passcode. I thought I knew it, but it was too good. I forgot the one I used, the special one. And, you know, after three tries, it wiped itself out. So the, these are what I call avoidable mistakes. And that, that's the issue, right? Too many wallet makers out there had avoidable mistakes. Uh, and it, sorry, let me, let me rephrase that. Too many wallets out there were so hard to use where users would actually keep repeatedly make avoidable mistakes. And to me, that's the biggest frustration uh, going into making ballet. Yeah, it's almost kind of like if you think about the early days of the internet and the computer, obviously not many people had it. Most of the people that knew how to operate a computer and internet had some kind of engineering background or experience beforehand. And that, I think that's where we're kind of seeing with the whole crypto space too. Obviously in the beginning, it was very esoteric. Um, I mean, for some people reading the white paper itself is confusing. Um, but now that we have, you know, over basically over 10 years of the industry going forwards, new people coming in, new technologies coming in to help out uh, existing current complications with the industry and with certain cryptos, for example. But I even still think there is some um, uh, weak points. For example, and I know you've touched this before, talk about how even wallets today, hardware wallets, they're even being they're even in, in some in some aspects prone to eventually becoming obsolete. Yeah, well, that's another issue, but we haven't we haven't really seen that play out yet. But for me, being future thinking and long long term minded, it is going to be a problem. Um, uh, so just to take us out of context, I I've been a fan of the iPhone since its very beginning. So today it's 2021. The iPhone came out. What is it? 14 years ago, right? 2007. Mm -hmm. June of 2007 was when it first uh, came out, the first iPhone, first gen. Um, I, I, um, I, I, I got that. I, in fact, I got two units of that that summer, uh, 2007. So that device obviously is is a historical, you know, museum piece. Um, but you know, compared to today's technology, that that is uh, really old and antiquated. So. No, no one uses the first generation or even the, the second generation of iPhone 3G, so to speak. My, my point is with electronics, with devices like smartphones, you know, they're great when they come out, they're brand spanking new. Like even the phone I use today, the iPhone 12 Pro, right? There's going to be the iPhone 13 coming out this fall, right? They, they look, they seem amazing new and fast today, but give it five years, 10 years, 15 years, they're going to seem like relics, a piece of brick, like a, like a door stop, right? So... My point is, I my time frame for holding crypto is much longer than the typical time of life for these hardware devices. That's why you know I got the first generation 
uh, Trezor wallet. I had the first generation Ledger Nano S. I know the Ledger and the Trezor, now they have new fancy generations models with Bluetooth and all that stuff. But the point is the older versions, you know, I think it's near their end of life. Even Apple, for example, has strict end of life timeframes set for its devices. Uh, Apple is already really generous. They already can stretch the use time for their devices for maybe seven years or eight years. But really after 10 years, the devices are really obsolete and they're no longer serviced. They, they, even if they break or battery issues, power issues, you, there's nowhere to fix it, right? So the same will happen with hardware wallets that we are using today. I know people, many people still use the first generation Trezor uh, devices and also the Ledger Nano S. And now that there are new versions out there, maybe in two or three, four years or five years for sure, some of these older units will stop working because of the, fun of the firmware issues, of the hardware electronics, the battery power issues, the power cables, even the, the standards, right? USB, now we're moving to USB-C. Back then there was a, this USB micro uh, A kind of connector. You know, who knows what's gonna happen in five, 10, 15 years, right? Even today's USB-C standard may not last more than 10 years, 15 years, right? So that's, that's a real genuine issue. People today are not thinking about it, but for me, having been a tech guy all my life, um, I know the real issues with technological obsolescence, right? I remember uh, in the early days, um, my, my first computer had floppy disks, these five and a quarter inch floppy disks. I didn't have the honor to use these large eight inch uh, floppy disks, but the ones I used, they were called mini floppy disks, yet they were five and a quarter inch. Right, I don't know if you, you, you know, no one's probably ever seen them anymore. And the later version was the micro floppy disk, the three and a half inch, the cassette tape. That was the that came with the Macintosh, right? Sony invented that. Mm -hmm. So those things are relics. Like if you had private key stored on that, like forget it. How are you gonna get it out, right? Even you know, for a while, I remember in the late '80s, early '90s, very popular, the zip disk, 100 megabytes. You know, it was I, as I was a teenager, it was like, oh, amazing, you know, the zip disk. And then later we had CD-ROMs, right? CD-ROMs and DVD-ROMs. Today, if you gave me a CD with so-called, you know, family photos from whatever the 1990s, it's gonna take me some trouble to 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 get that data out of the CD because I don't have any CD players. And and by by chance, uh, for, in real life, I've noticed CD players and DVD players do not reliably read the data off of the old CDs and DVDs anymore. I don't know if you've had that trouble, but I, I certainly have, and uh, it's it's really sad. Let alone finding a laptop that actually has capabilities to put in a CD. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's the I mean, issue. Most, right? most modern day laptops do not have a slot anymore for putting in CDs. So. Yeah. So the analogy, of course, you know, none of the harder walls today use CD, DVD, or floppy disk technology. Obviously, yeah, right. But my point is that the the the, the hardware devices today that use the latest Bluetooth standard, the latest NFC, the latest USB C. These are all technology standards that one day for sure will be obsolete, right? And you give it enough time, then it will really be be like hard to get out. And and the worst is not just the connection standard. The worst is if the private keys are actually embedded in these secure enclave chips with special software communication protocols that are proprietary. How do you get the software to talk to the chips to retrieve the private keys and or to have it sign transactions, right? It's gonna be a huge, huge headache, mm. especially if the coins have other fork coins and stuff like that. It's gonna be a, a nightmare scenario. I mean, if, if for those of us who remember 
the 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 forking of Bitcoin, you know, the multiple forks in 2017 and late in 2018 early. Uh, Bitcoin forked like several times, right? So today, thankfully, we're still on the main chain BTC being the key thing. But but there are many fork versions of the of the Bitcoin. If you care about the value, they're they're minuscule in value. But the point is, many wallets don't support that because how how do you get how do you get your private keys to sign for those alternate four coins mm-hmm. when the software and the firmware doesn't support it? You are screwed. You're so-called SOL, you know, out of luck. For the people who do know you, it's obvious that you have a very strong conviction on making things that you're passionate about easy and accessible to people. What? So with the ballet wallets, what was the most important fundamental characteristic the ballet wallets have that other crypto wallets did not have? Yeah, this this is perfect. Perfect. Um, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Easy, easiness, uh, ease of use. Um, all my life, you know, ever since you know being at Yahoo after college, after Stanford, uh, all my all my career, I, I I can't say I've done it at, at all the jobs in my career, but but fundamentally as a person, I've been I get excited about trying to make things easy to use, teaching people how to use technology, computers, and things like that. So, so I'm, I'm, you know, maybe you could say I'm an educator at heart. Okay, with with cryptocurrency over the ten past ten years, I've, I've uh, this is my tenth year anniversary getting to Bitcoin. I have convinced numerous tens, if not hundreds, of people around my life to get into Bitcoin by investing in Bitcoin. And the only regret. You know, prior to 2019, is that I never had a good solution for all these people how to store their cryptocurrency. It's always been okay, either store it on some exchange, you know, you know, cross your fingers, knock on wood, it's going to be safe. Or uh, if I, in some cases, I was generous, I say, let me hold it for you for the for the next few years or whatever. And I've done that for people, and that's always been a very very uh, uh, risky thing from my perspective. It's just. I don't intend to defraud them, but but you know who who knows what might happen. So I really don't want to take the responsibility of holding on to their assets, right? So I really want to let them control it, and that's the impetus of ballet. With ballet, it is a fundamentally new approach to crypto wallets. What we've what we've done, what we've achieved, I think is something very unique in the industry. We we've managed to do something where. We, we managed to do, Steve Jobs once, once had a quote. I think it was something like, um, this was when Steve Jobs was launching the iPhone SDK for the iPhone. And this was in 2018, okay, after, a year after the launch, right? He said that they're trying to do two diametrically opposed things at once. So what's the two diametrically opposed things? In the case of the iPhone, it was how do you provide the open platform to allow people to write apps for the iPhone, yet at the same time make it very secure, right? So fundamentally, if you look at the mobile phone ecosystem of the software platform, if you have an open platform, then all kinds of developers can write all kinds of software that go crazy, especially hackers and stuff like that, malware. Uh, yet, yet it's flexible and open, but it's not safe. On the other hand, you can have a very safe platform that's very locked down, but you don't allow any sort of external apps and stuff like that. So, so with the Apple iPhones App Store, they were, they were able to bring these two diametrically opposed things into one device. And that's the success of the iPhone's app store. For the crypto wallet, what we're trying to say is, traditionally with wallets that are super safe, it's never been easy to use. I'm talking about the hardware wallet providing cold storage. 
And with ballet, I was trying to do the two diametric opposed things, which is to make, to, to have the safety of a cold storage wallet, harder wallet, yet make it fundamentally easier to use. And the solution for that is to make it ready to use with no setup, right? The most, through our survey, through my survey of friends and family, the most difficult thing in setting up a harder wallet in using a hard wallet is a setup process, which involves the, the generation of the backup recovery seeds, the 24 words, how to write it down, where to write it down, how to verify that you wrote it down correctly, right? That takes that, I mean, yeah, it's simple. You just write down 24 words, but how do you do verify it, right? Many harder wallets in the early days, they just let people write it down. They don't even bother asking people to ver verify it. Right, it, it, that, that's a terrible mistake, right? These days you ask people to verify it, but then it's it's cumbersome and you, there's still mistakes and the process is very involved. And the second thing is setting up the, the device itself in terms of an extra passcode, PIN code, uh, you plug it in, you may have to update the firmware, you have to download miniature programs that run on the devices for each of the coins you support, and also connecting to the internet, it, it's just, it's just a whole slew of problems, you know, connecting cables, maybe pairing the Bluetooth, right? If you pair the wallet to your Bluetooth by, uh, to your phone by Bluetooth, how do you unpair it? What if you lose your phone? What if you upgrade your phone? What if you change phones? How do you repair it? Is there a pin code with that? Uh, with NFT wallets, you know, some phones don't have the NFC capability to read and extract the private keys. So there's all sorts of issues with these electronic devices and the setup process and all that. With ballet, what we've achieved is dead simple. You buy the device, right? In our case, you buy it on Amazon or balletcrypto.com, and then literally you take it out of the packaging, or even without taking it out of the packaging, you can use it right away by depositing Bitcoin into the wallet through the QR code. It's ready to go, right? Literally, it's the world's first and only wallet that where you can literally load cryptocurrency on it the moment you buy it and then give it to someone else or either give it to yourself, put in your own safe or give it to a friend or family member as a gift, right? And it's so dead simple. Yeah, I think this is one of the, basically the most important aspect of the ballet wallets. And I think when a lot of people do come across it, they instantly see the same thing and it surprises themselves as well how easy it is to use. For example, in my case, actually, I had a chance to... Um, my, my father's birthday was coming up and I had a chance to, I, I needed something to gift to him, right? Obviously it's very hard to gift. Uh, he's in, he, what country? He's in a different country. Yes. He, at the moment he's in a different country. He is in New Jersey. I am all the way out here in Shanghai. And as anyone knows, right? In general, it's very hard to think of a gift for your, your parents, right? After so many years. Um, but I did know that he did not have any Bitcoins. And obviously he knew that I was working in the Bitcoin industry. Yeah. So, you know, I thought to myself, what would be a great way to gift him something that I, I am also passionate in and uh, something that I also work uh, with, right? So I actually gifted him a Bally Wallet, uh, the Gold Series, uh, the Gold Real BTC Series Bally yep. Wallet. Very nice, fancy looking. The one, the, awesome. the one, the one in the big uh, acrylic display case. Which yeah, is, that's really nice. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely a great way to you know keep it as a collector's item or put it on your shelf uh, and show it off. So I gifted him that, sent it to him uh, without telling him actually. So I sent it to him through the mail, ordered it online. He received it, yeah. and then when he received it, he liked it. Right, he he he, he was he was surprised, and you know he, he thought it was very nice. He also he also 
thankfully took a picture of it for me when he received it. And it was in that moment where once he sent me that picture of the, the Valley the Wallet. Front, the front photo with the QR code of the wallet. Yep, by exactly. sending you the photo. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So the picture that he took for me was of the front of the wallet, which enabled me to secretly send him some Bitcoins in it. I see. And then I was like, okay, Dad. Yeah, it's very nice. You know, I'm glad you like it. Download the Ballet Crypto app for me. He opened the app. Scanned the wallet. Scanned the wallet. And he was blown away because he then also realized that there were some Bitcoins in it. And the number of Bitcoins that were sent to him was actually his birthday. I it see. was like point zero zero something, right? But uh, it was that whole process was just super simple. You know, yeah. he, he basically received the Ballet Wallet. Instantly, he also received Bitcoins. Yes. Uh, and I think that whole process itself is... In, in, in this day, in 2021, after 11 years of crypto, it's still very hard to replicate compared to other crypto yeah, wallets. Exactly. With, without ballet. So, so Eric, what you've, you described is exactly the best use case, right? It's great for gifting, and it's great for gifting to people who are what we call either crypto newbies or crypto illiterate. They just don't know how to set up a proper wallet, how to receive Bitcoin. Typically, when you send Bitcoin to someone they have to participate in the receiving of the Bitcoin because they have to have the capability to receive Bitcoin and give you a Bitcoin receiving address or a Bitcoin deposit address. And for crypto industry, people like you and I, no problem. If you want to send me Bitcoin, I'll give you an address you can send it to. No problem. But for someone new like your father or many, or for the billions of people on this planet who are not yet on board on crypto, how do you give them crypto to get started? Right? In the old days, it was download Bitcoin Core. Right. That's how my brother introduced me to Bitcoin. Download the Bitcoin Core, Bitcoin D program. You know, at the time it was a few few megabytes and that's it. Right. Ten years ago. Whereas today it's impractical for you to ask your father to go download this Bitcoin Core program uh, and then sync the blockchain for, for, you know, 180 gigabytes and then generate an address for you to deposit Bitcoin to. It would be crazy. Right. Having him set up a password and all that stuff. So sending a ballet wallet and then just by having a photo of the front of it, you can then deposit Bitcoin or any number of cryptocurrencies out there, right? This is a this is one of the key things. We actually have four patents already on this technology. So I'm very proud of the innovation we've brought to the market. We've made it super simple for new users to get on board, on board Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. And like what you said before, I didn't even ask him for the receiving address. Yeah, you didn't he, ask him. Yeah, he, he, he volunteered he, to send you a photo. And exactly. That's, that just worked perfectly. Exactly. And it's also an added benefit that the wallet actually looks beautiful. Yeah. On that point, talk about the other fundamental characteristics of what makes the Ballet Wallet just so much different than other wallets. So to, to summarize, it, it is a wallet that is ready to use, yet it is just as safe as all the other cryptocurrency wallets out there, all the other hardware cold storage wallets out there. And here's what I mean. There's a, there's a misconception that Bally wallets are not safe uh, because, you know, Bally, the company, we generate the private keys. So technically, we don't generate the private keys. We actually generate the private key components, if you will, the entropy part for it. Because, of, for example, the wallet that your father received in the mail, did you buy it on Amazon? Did you buy it from our, our BalletCrypto.com shop uh, store? Yeah, I bought it on ballycrypto.com. Okay, all right. So that wallet was made uh, in the U.S. Uh, and it was shipped from Las Vegas to New Jersey in your case. And uh, I can assure you that the, the actual private keys 
of the address that you sent the Bitcoins to has never, first of all, it hasn't even been created yet. Okay, due to the amazing BIP38 technology, right? That that privacy has not even been generated yet. So until your father decides to spend the Bitcoin, peel the sticker, scratch off the passphrase, and move the Bitcoins out, that private key is unknown to everyone in the world, okay? Meaning that BIP30 allows us to make a pre-setup wallet with a deposit address when the private key itself has not been mixed and created, okay? To create the private key, uh, we, we have to actually do a cryptographic calculation between the two parts A and B of the entropy material. Uh, so those have not never been touched and never been created. So even ballet, there's no way for ballet, the company or our employees to ever know about that. So it makes it super secure. And I'm sure we'll talk about this at the later episode. And I really want to point out, this is an anecdote. Um, ballet has been around for, for two years now as a company, we've been selling our wallets for a year and a half. And I can tell you proudly that we've had zero loss, zero customer loss, zero uh, loss of funds due to any of these issues such as uh, cryptographic technology uh, mishaps, such as hacking of private keys, hacking, anything like that. We've had zero loss due to user mistakes, right? So no, no, one's, no one's made a user mistake. Like, like the whole process is super easy, right? You're literally, there's no mistake that you can make in losing the private keys for your father and no mistakes that he can make just by holding on to the, the wallet, right? So essentially, he can just hold on to that ballet wallet yep. forever, and the, then the and private keys are there. Uh, will be will be there when he needs it, and the funds will be there, and, and he can hold it for ten years, twenty years, fifty years. And even downloading the downloading the ballet crypto app, and I guess quote unquote binding the wallet to the yep. app. That's right. There's no there's no rev. That's exactly right. When you, when he downloads the app on his Android phone or iPhone, he scans a wallet. There's no transmission of private key information at all. Right, what he sees in the app, the amount, the, he sees an image of the like a virtual card, and he sees the amount of bitcoins in there and the value of it. There's no security aspects to that at all. If he loses the phone, if he replaces the phone, if he deletes the app, if the app gets gets corrupted, he has to reinstall the app. He will not lose the money. So the this app is an is, amazing thing. So the app is merely just like a, a watch only wallet. It, exactly, it's a watch only wallet, right? So, so my my point is this. My point is over the year and a half, we've had. We've had a lot, we sold a lot of ballet wallets, and most importantly, uh, we've exceeded in uh, the the overall. This is not some small some small project experiment. Okay, ballet wallets have been super successful for the last year and a half. Uh, we because all the data is on the blockchain, we can count the value of all the cryptocurrency stored on all ballet wallets, and it's exceeded two hundred and fifty million dollars. And we're on track. Uh, actually, I won't. I won't, I won't share what we think it will get to by the end of the year, but that number will just keep going up and up and up, and it's going up at a very, very nice, steady rate. So we're seeing uh, increasing adoption of Bally wallets and all that money, the $250 million, none of that's been lost, right? So it's, that's amazing. And I don't think other hardware wallet makers can say that. I've heard of a lot of personal stories uh, of friends and family and coworkers and people in the industry who've told me, they or someone they know closely have lost funds using other brands of hardware wallet makers. And most of the loss is not due to hacking, but rather due to user misuse, meaning user mistakes. These are preventable mistakes where user made, it was too hard, too complicated, they screwed up, and then they lose the money. And you know, the hardware makers, they, they don't even handle those, they, they just ignore these users because 
there's nothing the hardware lawmakers can do, and then and then they just don't even bother to attend to these issues because the users make these uh, very avoidable mistakes. It's really sad. So with other crypto wallets, I mean, obviously you you you've mentioned the pitfalls there. What do you think they're doing wrong, um, and what do you think they should be putting more emphasis on, and or do you think their products are more focused? to a different demographic, a different target market. Yeah, it's really what you said last. It's the demographics, right? These hardware, I, I told you, I use a Trezor. I use a Ledger. I use some of these other hardware wallet makers. I use it as a test product, and I use also use to store some personal funds on it. And for me, as an expert, as a security expert, as a crypto expert, I have no trouble using those products. I spend more time. I handle my backups carefully. I do put a lot of energy into it. The issue, you ask me, what are they doing wrong as a company? I think if they sell these complex, sophisticated hardware wallets, cold storage, to novice and new users and very low-key users, I think that's a mistake because you're, you're, inviting mistake, you're inviting people to make avoidable mistakes. I, I think um, I, you know, if, if I were their CEO, I would say don't sell these complicated products to the low-end users. You should have a low-end product to sell to the low-end users, right? And Ballet is that special product that is really suitable for all newbies and low-end users, right? And when your assets grow from $100 to $1,000 to $10,000, when it goes to $100,000 or $1 million, that's when you as a cryptocurrency investor should then invest more time and more energy into potentially diversifying your assets and uh, looking at other choices, hardware wallets, and maybe splitting putting your eggs in different baskets, right? For example, your father today, you know, I, it's none of my business how much Bitcoin you sent him. Uh, but the point is, if it's a if it's a small manageable amount, you he keeps it all in that ballet, gold ballet wall you sent him, that's perfectly fine. In 5, 10, 20 years, let's say it balloons to $100,000 or a million dollars and $10 million, right? Maybe it will, right? Knock on wood. <laughs> By then, your father, you know, whatever age he is, he should have the, the instinct and say, hey, it's time for him to start learning about other ways to store cryptocurrency and maybe split his eggs. By then, he, his egg is huge. He has multiple eggs, right? So he wants to split his nest egg into different different technologies. Maybe keep some in ballet, keep some in, in other hardware wallet makers, put some in custodial storage, and th that way it's even safer because the key to, to real safety is to split and diversify. And that's true not just for crypto. That's true in life in general. I want to recite a quote from your book, The Promise of Bitcoin, and I found it very powerful. It goes, and this is, this is what you said in the book too. I found that often with personal finance technology people opt for the more complicated solutions, believing that they are superior in quality or safety because of their complexity, when they would be better off choosing a more user-friendly product. This yeah. line right here, it's very true. But at the same time, do you think people and, and you know people these days are just kind of we're wired into naturally thinking that the more complicated or the more you know tech savvy a product looks the more better it is the safer it is do you think this is just a natural kind of tendency that we have as humans to kind of, kind of gravitate towards that yeah it, it's it's a it's a uh, it's one of those human um uh mistakes if you will like like you know we all have these uh, i forgot the terminology so people do make the mistake. They, they associate complexity and sophistication with safety and security. 
And in some cases, it's it's true, but in some cases, it's not, right? Like like you have a you have a for example, you have a a simple uh, in the okay. I'm not an air air airplane airplane pilot, but I have. I've had ambitions to fly in a plane. I've taken some uh, flight lessons, and I'll, I'll share this story quickly. So, for new pilots to fly airplane, actually small aircraft, what they call the Cessna, the Cessna, I think it's a 152, whatever, the Cessna. The simple Cessna, it's a two-seater or the four-seater version. It's a propeller plane. It's called a prop plane. Just single propeller, uh, has nice wings. It's a very safe and simple airplane. You could fly it alone, or you could fly with a co-pilot or instructor, and it's very safe because everything in there has redundant features, and the technology is simple—just wings and a and a propeller, a motor, and and it, it glides for long. Even if the engine shuts down, you know it will glide for long distance. So a lot of cases, you have a lot of instances where Cessna pilots, due to whatever failure, they will still land safely and and spare their lives. Okay, so that same pilot. You say, oh, should that person, a novice pilot, fly a jumbo jet, right? Whatever, it's a Boeing 747 and a Boeing 787, mm. right? These huge jumbo jets supposedly have more safety features, you know, multiple engines, you know, huge cabin with electronic flight controls, lots of fuel, lots of stuff. But if you don't have a sophistication to fly a jumbo jet, if you're not certified, then you're going to actually screw up and crash the plane. Even if it has the best autopilot system, does that make sense? That's a good. That's a good analogy, right? It's like the vast majority, like like. So in that analogy, I'm probably qualified to fly the jumbo jets. If I, if you know, in the crypto industry, I'd be qualified to use the most sophisticated hardware wallets. But for most people, like your father, they're they're not they're not qualified to use to fly the jumbo jets and the Boeing seven eight seven or the new Airbus three fifty, right? So, so people make the mistake, oh, that must be the safer plane. I'd rather fly the jumbo jet than fly the small propeller Cessna plane. But the reality is for them, the Cessna plane is the safer choice. Or even the safer choice is what they do is, okay, I'm not going to fly at all. I'm going to hire a pilot. I'm going to let, uh, let third-party custody it, right? So, so with ballet, we're saying, hey, you don't have to hire a pilot. You don't have to put your coins with a custodial exchange. You can actually hold it safely because we have a revolutionary new approach where you can use this wallet. It's a physical bearer asset. You put your crypto in it and then you just keep it safe and you're good to go. And the assumption is this is a long-term investment. You're not doing it for trading day-to-day, -day, you know, uh, high-frequency trading, right? So in 2019, when you guys did start Ballet and started the manufacturing and producing parts of the Ballet wallet, on the initial uh, on the, on the get-go, going to road shows, going to conferences, events, and introducing the Ballet Wallet to people who've, you know, at that time never before seen the Ballet Wallet, what do you think, what was their reaction like? The reaction was pretty good. I think, um, uh, so, so for people who've been in the industry, they know that the Ballet Wallet, the overall concept, the appearance, uh, evokes... Uh, brings up two memories. Number one is the paper wallets of the old days, and then number two is the cassatious coins, the physical bitcoins of the old days. And and it's true. Today's ballet wallet is a mixture of the traditional paper wallet and the cassatious coin. And here's what I mean: in both cases, they're pre-set up. Okay, both paper wallets and cassatious coins are pre-set up. But we're taking the best of both and adding some more magic, and that's what ballet is. 
So the best part of the Cassatius coin is it's a physical coin with a you know back then it was brass or or or, or uh, brass or you know steel or whatever. So in Ballet's case, it's stainless steel. So our form factor is the size of a credit card, whereas the Cassatius coins were round coins, maybe an inch round or one and a half inches round. And some, by the way, some were made of silver and gold. I, the first Cassatius coin I received was made of silver, pure silver, right? Really nice, big coin, very pretty design. So ballet, we try to evoke the same thing, very pretty design, nice. It's just a different credit card size form factor but rather than a round coin. Now with paper wallet, the benefit is um, you, you have the private key obviously printed inside or folded inside and you have the public deposit address on the outside. And, and with that, what's great is you could really just scan the address, the QR code, and you could instantly deposit coins into it. So Cassatius coins didn't have the QR code on front, yet the paper wallets don't have a strong metal backing. So paper wallets were vulnerable. They were not waterproof. They were certainly not um, uh, very safe. And they were fragile, right, the, the paper wallets. So we've combined the best and we've made a hybrid product that takes that, that, that where the ballet wallet is ready to use. There's a deposit address on there and it's made on a very sturdy, firm, and decently thick plate of stainless steel. So it's very, very secure uh, and uh, longevity, right? Designed for a lifetime. And best part, we've added some magic. We, we, we still use open source, open protocol, open standards, in this case, BIP38, meaning that the whole technology is not proprietary because I don't want to create a proprietary technology where people can then have to worry where the ballet will ever ever lock up the technology and, and lock up the funds, right? We don't, it's all open technology, open uh, standards, BIP38. And the best part is we added some magic to allow for multi-currency support, right? So this is the first instance where you have a pre-setup wallet that has multi-currency support. So not just Bitcoin, you have Ethereum, all the ERC20 tokens, you have Litecoin, you know, XRP, you have Zcash, you have uh, Binance Smart Chain tokens and all the stuff, all the fancy. We even allow you to store NFTs on there, ERC721. We're gonna have support for ERC1155 coming up, and we're gonna have support for NFCs, NFTs on other other uh, chains and stuff like that. So it's very exciting. It's very easy to use. Yeah, actually, thinking back now, in my first reaction when I saw the Ballet Wallet was when I first met you back in 2019, actually. And I remember then when you showed when when, when you gave me a Ballet Wallet, it, I mean, it was just so easy to use. Um, just at the time too, I remember me sending you some fiat money first in order yeah. for me to receive Bitcoin. That's right. And we were doing we, we did a private sort of OTC transaction. You gave me some money and I sent you some Bitcoin, right? Exactly. And, and it, it was easy. It was just, literally yeah. could do it in front of in, in you know within yeah. minutes. It, it was just one click, download the app, and then scan the QR code, and there was my money. Yeah. That's there was it. your Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. But but of course for me too, you know, it's still it's still at that time, you know, I, I was still like a um a crypto noob, so to say. Um, obviously, there were still some things about the ballet wallet that I had questions, such as, you know, why did the private key start with 6P when I always thought the private key started with like 5 or K. But obviously, that would be for a topic uh, for the next podcast, talking about BIP38. Um, before we end this podcast, um, tell me about the time during 2019 when you ran into Bruce Willis on the plane. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> you remember that. So Bruce Willis, so yeah, that was a fun story. I was flying back from the U.S. to Shanghai. And, yeah. and, and the reason why I want to bring up this last last question before we end this podcast is because I think that, that is just a 
um, this this example epitomizes what Ballet Wallet was made for. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so Bruce Willis, right? Famous at Hollywood actor. I'm a big fan of his. You know, obviously, Pulp Fiction is one of my all time favorite movies, and he's in it. Uh, very tall, you know, handsome gentleman. And um, I was flying back from the U.S. to Shanghai. I was actually sitting in business class, and the flight was about to take off. It was leaving from the Los Angeles airport. I was coming from Las Vegas, stopover in Los Angeles, Los Angeles to Shanghai. And when the gate was about to close, when everyone was boarded, the business class was like half empty, okay? Um, I got upgraded to business class. And so what happened was these few passengers came up the last moment, okay? And I didn't think much to it. They just came in. I was on the left side of the plane in the center section, and they came into the left side on the sitting in the window seats. Uh, it was one tall gentleman, you know, one, you know, few ladies and two, two young children, okay? Uh, his two daughters, right? Um, so th this is public information. I think there are photos of them online and stuff like that. So I don't, I don't remember the names of the daughters. But um, the point is, I, I was like, look at this guy walking down the aisle. I was like, this guy looks just like the guy in Pulp Fiction, you know, Bruce Willis. And I was smiling to myself. I didn't know it was him or not, right? So I was about to ask. I, I was thinking, should I ask? But then the funny thing happened was, the flight attendant came back to serve drinks before takeoff. So they, so she came over and and whispered to him like, "Mr. Willis, what would you mm. like to drink?" And that was clue. That was clue. Like Mr. Willis, you know, that was that was Bruce Willis, <laughs> right? So, so that's when. Uh, so and, and I. You said he was wearing a sunglasses, or I forgot. I forgot. I had photos. I had photos on my Twitter. I forgot uh, if he was wearing sunglasses. Or, I don't think he was wearing sunglasses. But he, he obviously, you know, when you see actors out of their movies, they, they're more rough, more, more, more real people. They, they don't have makeup on. They're not all clean shaven and stuff like that. So, so sometimes it's, it's, it's a, there's a slight disguise. So uh, he, so I, I gently, you know, try to chat with him. But, but, you know, given, you know, these mega stars, they don't want to chat with me, right? So it, so it wasn't a very fruitful encounter, but I did talk to his uh, his partner. I forgot it was his girlfriend or his wife. I guess his wife, his second wife after Demi Moore. So uh, I, I forgot her name. I, I spoke with her a little bit. Uh, you know, they switched seats. But they were sitting basically, I was on the on the center section. It was like 222 seating, 222. They were on the two left side. I was in the center two on the left side, so I could see them. They were literally almost next to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and I chatted with them, you know, hey, I'm into Bitcoin. You know, this is after my first conference in Las Vegas. And I think it was uh, October, November of 2019, okay, flying back to China. So apparently they were going to China on vacation, right? Um, so I got confirmation that it was Bruce Willis because by, by the time they landed, all this like media frenzy and all the fans were greeting them at the airport, you know, so it's clearly it was Bruce Willis, right? So, so, um, so on the plane, after I took, the plane took off, I had these two gold wallets, just like the ones you gave your father. And what I did was I turned on air, airline Wi-Fi. I paid, you know, whatever, $15 for airline Wi-Fi. Mm. And I was able to do an on-chain transaction, send some Bitcoins from my, from my own wallet, Ballet wallet, to these two gold wallets. And after loaded with Bitcoin, I gave it to Bruce Willis's family for their two daughters. And wow. I believe it was about... At the time, it was crypto was maybe $9,000, um, $9, maybe around there, if I remember correctly. So it was about 0.01 BTC. So it was about less than $100 each of gift. So 0.01. So that was a gift I gave them. Wow. And today, each of those wallets would hold, um, 
you know, $450 now from $90 to $450. So the, again, these are crypto newbies. They don't know about Bitcoin, right? I hope, I hope they kept those wallets. I told them, you know, keep it safe that these are, have Bitcoins in them for their two daughters, their young age. And um, maybe they'll remember it one day and, and come back and, and talk about it. But it was, it was fun to meet them on the plane. Uh, they unfortunately declined to take a selfie photo with me, which is understandable. Mm. And uh, but it was good to to share, you know, crypto, oh, yeah. share Bitcoin as a gift to young children who otherwise would not be able to to you know they can't you know we couldn't have set up a Coinbase account for them over the on the plane, yeah. nor could we have purchased a harder wallet, set it up with the seed recovery phrase and give it to them. It would just be impractical. By the time they grow up, they'll forget the password. Does that make sense? Yeah. So ballet was the only practical choice to give Bitcoin. In, in the same way, I gave Ron Paul some Bitcoin uh, at the conference that that um, that uh, October. I think it was October, November. So Ron Paul, again, very famous politician. Um, how do you give him Bitcoin? Well, he's not going to set up an, a wallet and give you the address, right? You all, the best way is load it into ballet wallet and hand it to him. And there you go. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to bring up that example because I thought that was just, you know, just a great story to kind of encapsulate the ease and accessibility of ballet walls. You can just basically give it to somebody. Yeah. And, you know, what, what's funny as well is that, um, you know, like I joke around with some people as well, you know, during times when the Bitcoin network is congested, when fees are skyrocketing high. Yeah. You can make the joke in saying, oh, you don't need to pay Bitcoin fees. You can just hand me over your Bally yeah. wallet. Yeah, so. exactly. You can hand over wallet. You can you give Bitcoin off-chain, so to speak. Instead of giving on-chain, if you were to have the Bitcoin loaded on the wallet, you could just give off-chain and give it to someone physically. It's exactly. very beautiful. Exactly. Okay, awesome. On the next podcast, we're going to get deeper into the technicalities and all the nuts and bolts of the Bally wallet, starting from BIP38 to the whole two-key factor generation process and etc um this podcast we we, we 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 got the community and the users to learn about you know what makes ballet fundamentally different from the crypto wallets which was awesome uh so stay tuned in the next podcast where you'll get to learn more about the technicalities behind the ballet wallet so thank you again bobby okay thank you if you enjoyed this conversation with bobby lee let us know your takeaways in the comments section below also Please feel free to share it on social media and tag us accordingly based on our social media handles in the video description. And if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at Ballet Crypto to stay on top of all the latest happenings with our wallets, news, promotions, and educational content. On the next episode of this podcast series, we'll be chatting again with Bobby Lee on the technicality and the nuts and bolts of the Ballet wallets. So please stay tuned for that episode to come out by subscribing to our YouTube channel.